what God's Word says um, concerning, concerning the family unit. Last week we learned that the family has purpose. Can you see me? And we saw that purpose all the way back from the beginning is to spread the image and glory of God throughout the whole earth. That's always been God's purpose for the family. And when I, what I mean by that, uh, what God has always wanted is for a godly man. And when I'm saying a godly man, I mean a man who trusts in Jesus, follows Jesus, loves Jesus, and serves Jesus. When a godly man comes together with a godly woman, and I mean a woman who trusts Jesus, serves Jesus, loves Jesus, honors Jesus, and follows Jesus. When a godly man and a godly woman come together in holy matrimony, and the Lord blesses them with children, because children are a blessing from the Lord, can you say amen? That when God blesses them with the children, then they raise those children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And they raise them up to love God and love people. They raise them up teaching them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Teaching them that Jesus is the answer for a hurting world. When godly parents raise up children, teaching them that we should do what Christ has commanded in our life. That Listen to me now. Uh, we do unto others as we would have them do unto us. We grow up, te they grow up learning that, that uh, the, the, the Bible is the absolute truth of God's standard for your life. Then what happens as we send those children out of the world, we're actually spreading God's image, His glory, everywhere they go. And folks, when we realize that is the purpose for family, then we realize how powerful that purpose truly is. Because it will change our lives on an individual basis, but it will change our world. Can you say me? <laughs> and, and, I, and folks, I don't know about you, but I look around the world that I live in and I see a lot that needs changing. And I hear people say this all the time. Well, I'll tell you what we need. We need change in the White House. We need change at the State House. We need change in the, in the uh, halls of Congress. We need change in the Senate. We need change among our leaders. And let me, let me uh, be very clear with you this morning. I do not disagree with that. I absolutely agree with it. I believe we do need change in all of those places to some degree. But I want to tell you something. If you want to make real lasting change that makes a difference in the world you live in and will make a difference not only today but tomorrow, the change don't need to take place only in the White House or the State House, but the change must take place in my house and in your house. That's where we really make a difference. The truth is, I've about figured out that we can put all uh, Democrats or Republicans or anyone in the middle, as far as politicians go, put them all in a paper sack, pour them out, but they don't matter which one falls out first. There's not a lot of difference in any of them. But I can tell you this, when you make a difference in your house, when you start applying God's truth to your life on a personal, individual basis in your family, I can promise you this. That'll make a difference that'll last in your life and in the lives of others. So if there's one thing we need, we need to get uh, focus on the family. We need to see what God's Word says concerning the purpose and how powerful that purpose is when we actually apply God's truth. The family unit has different roles that must be filled. And for us as husbands, wives, children, 
We need to understand what those roles are if we're ever going, be, going to be effective in filling those roles and our families would be what God would have us to be. Now, let me ask you something. If I could tell you this morning that God has given us an instruction man manual for what the family should look like, for what my role as a husband, as a father, what, ladies, your role as a wife and a mother, and kids, what your role are as children in the home. If, if I told you God has given us an instruction manual on what that looks like and how we make it happen in our lives, do you think that would be beneficial to you? How many of you know God has done exactly that? Right here in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 5 and chapter number 6. What I want to do today is look at the instructions. How many of you know of this morning, it's important to follow the instructions if you want to get something done right? I remember years ago, man, I was, me and Brandy had first got, just got married, and uh, at the time she was still going to school up at UNA to finish her teaching degree. And so she was driving back and forth up there every day. And when she got home at night, she spent a lot of time doing her, her book work, her studies. And so we kind of converted one of the bedrooms in our house to just to her room where she had all of her school stuff and done all of her school work. And she decided that she needed a computer desk. So we went over to Tupelo one Friday night. I'll never forget it. We picked up a computer desk, brought it back home, got back to the house. It was about 9 o'clock. And I thought, well, man, I don't want to spend, you know, all day on Saturday doing this. I had other plans, so I thought I'll throw it together tonight. And, and get everything going for tomorrow for her. And so I started breaking down the box, and that thing had about 500 million pieces scattered out everywhere. And, and in the first five or ten minutes, I looked at the instructions, and I got the gist of really what was going on. And I thought, well, man, there's no need for these. I can see where this is going. So I put the instructions aside and just started putting it together myself. And all of it went really good until I got to about step number 20. And then I figured out at step number 20, there were some things I was supposed to do at step number two that I couldn't fix at step 20. So what I had to do was backtrack, and I'd take everything back apart that I'd done from step three to step 20 and figure out what was actually going on. And that caused me a whole lot of time and a whole lot of heartache that was unnecessary Simply because I didn't follow the instructions. I thought I knew best. In my foolish pride, which sometimes, well, most of the time is what gets me in trouble, I thought I knew better than the ones who actually created the computer desk to begin with. Now, how many of you understand? It was God who created the family. It is God who created the marital relationship. And if we want to know how this thing is supposed to work, if we want to know how our role on an individual basis should be fulfilled, then we need look no further than God's instruction manual and then start applying those truths to our lives. We can't, in our foolish pride, think we know best because we don't. The family is in a mess today, and I'm talking about the family as a whole as we look across society the family is in a mess today simply because we've chosen not to do things God's way. What we need is his truth. What we need is his instruction. And what we must do is hear the word of God and then heed the word of God. How do you know it's good to hear it? But we must heed it. We must apply it to our own personal lives. And the Bible teaches us how to do that right here in Ephesians 5. 
So let's look at God's instruction manual for the family and what our roles in it look like. First of all, let's look Ephesians 5, verse number 17. Listen to what the Bible says. Step number one. Wherefore be ye not wise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Let me ask you this. Do you want God's will for your life? I don't know about you, but as, as, as for me, I individually, I want God's will to be done in my family. I want God's will to be done in my ministry. I want God's will to be done in our church. I want God's will to be done in every sphere of my life because I know God's will is the best way. And you need to understand that. We, not, we may not always understand God's will. We may not always even agree with, with God's will. But I can promise you this, God's will is the best way. God's will is what we would want if we were smart enough to know we wanted it. Now, I'm not smart enough to know what I really, truly need or want sometimes because I don't have, all the, I don't have the full picture. But God has a much higher vantage point than I do. How many of you know he sees past, present, and future? How many of you know he is omnipresent? He's everywhere at all times. How many of you know he is omniscient? He knows all things. And how many of you know he is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful and can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, with whom he wants. And this God loves me much more than anyone else ever could. The one who loves me most knows me best and has a will for my life. So his will is always the best way. The Bible says, do not be unwise. But be understanding, under, listen, knowing what the will of the Lord is. He's fixing to give us his will for the family. So let's look at it together. The step number one, he tells us in verse number 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Everybody say, be filled. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, how many of you understand what he's giving us here is a command straight from the Word of God that we as believers need to be, must be, filled with the Spirit. A lot of the things that I'm going to talk to you about this morning is not just hard, it's impossible without the work and power of God the Holy Spirit. And so if these things that I'm about to tell you are going to be accomplished in our lives, in our families, we must be filled with the Spirit. And I want to give you two uh, truths straight from the Word of God concerning God the Holy Spirit and His work for our lives. Statement number one. Listen to me. I want you to get a hold of this. Every blood-bought, born-again believer is indwelled by the Holy Spirit. If you believe it, say amen. You say, now wait a minute, brother, where you get that? Well, I'm glad you asked because it comes straight from the absolute truth of the Word of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. Brothers, if you will, please put that on the screen for me. 1 Corinthians 12, verse number 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. We are in the body of Christ. Aren't you thankful for that? Praise God, he's the head, we are the body, and he has called us, he has saved us for purpose, and he has gifted us with the different talents, abilities that we have been given so that we can go out and make a difference for the cause of Christ in the world that we live in. We are his hands and his feet, many members in one body. Verse number 13, he tells us, for by one spirit, everybody say one spirit, for by one spirit are we all, everybody say all. 
not some, not most, not many, but all are baptized. That means every member that's a part of the body has been baptized by one spirit. Now, how many of you know what? Answer for me this question, church. What spirit is that? Holy Spirit. Absolutely. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all been made to drink into one spirit. So what that verse is telling me, telling all of us, is that every believer has been indwelled by the Holy Spirit, baptized into the body by the person of the Holy Spirit. Another really good verse, 1 Corinthians 3.16, the Bible says that we, meaning the people of God, are the temple of God. That means God dwells in us. If you're here this morning, you've placed your faith in Jesus as your personal Savior. You've been blood-bought, born again into God's family. That means God the Holy Spirit lives in you. Point number two. Even though every believer is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, not every believer is controlled by the Holy Spirit. And that's what Ephesians 5.18 is all about. Paul says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And what he's really doing is making, a, he's contrasting and comparing two different things. He says, we need to be careful not to allow wine to control us or be drunk with wine, but we need to be controlled by none other than God the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is us being controlled by the Spirit on a day-to-day -day basis. See, what we need to understand, you don't need more of the Spirit of God. What needs to happen is the Spirit of God needs to have more of you. You understand me? That's what the filling is all about. Have you noticed that the Bible never commands us to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you why that's true. Because that's a work only God does supernaturally when we choose by grace through faith to place our trust in Jesus. He indwells us by his supernatural power. God does that, but we do have a role in the filling of the Holy Spirit when we allow God the Holy Spirit to have control of us. He's explaining it in that verse. How many of you have ever seen somebody drinking wine and before long that wine starts drinking them? And what happens, that substance begins to control how they think, how they talk, how they act, how they do anything. And what Paul is saying is, we shouldn't allow wine to do that, but God the Holy Spirit to do that. We need to be controlled or filled by Him. Let me say something to you, husband. You're never going to be able to be the husband God wants you to be unless you are controlled by God the Holy Spirit. People say it's hard to be a Christian, folks. It's not hard to be a Christian. It's impossible to be a Christian in your own power. Wives, you're never going to be able to do what the Bible's about to tell you to do unless you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Children, we're never going to be able to do what God wants you to do, what the Bible's about to tell us, unless you are controlled by the Holy Spirit. You've got to allow Him to control how you think, the decisions and choices you make. 
You've got to be spirit-led. On Sunday, yes, we always talk about, man, I tell you every Sunday, I want God to work on me, work in me, and work through me to accomplish His good will and purpose. And before I ever come out here to preach to you, I get on my face and I say, Lord, fill me up. I want you to control everything that happens in this service. Preach through me to your people. Now, do I need God, the Holy Spirit, to do God's work on Sunday? Absolutely. Do you need it to do God's work on Sunday and the preaching and the praying and the singing and all that we do in here? Absolutely. Do you need God's Holy Spirit to work on you to teach the Sunday school class? Listen, to witness to your neighbor, to do all of those things? Yes. But let me tell you something else. I don't just need God, the Holy Spirit, on Sunday morning. Praise God, I need him on Monday morning. When I'm dealing with the stuff I deal with in my home. When I'm making decisions and choices that will impact my children greatly. When I'm working out the relationship between me and my wife, I need God the Holy Spirit to give me direction. And you do too. Now the good news is, He's available. And He's ready. And the Bible says if we'll draw near to Him, He'll draw near to us. If you believe it, say amen. Ain't God good? Boy, I tell you what, when I started figuring this out, I use this up. When things get too hard for me to handle, I just get on my face and say, Jesus, you know I can't fix this, but I know you can. I don't know what's going on with my family. I don't know what's going on with the church. I don't know what's going on in whatever sphere of life you may be talking about. But God, I can't do it. I know you can do it. Holy Spirit, lead God and direct me. Share with me, share with me what needs to be done. Help me, Lord. And folks, he's never failed to do that. He will do it in your life. But we've got to relinquish control and give it to Him. Submit yourself unto God the Holy Spirit. He can do much more with your life than you ever could. We've got to be controlled by Him. I heard a story one time about D.L. Moody, the great preacher from the late 1800s. He was actually like the Billy Graham of the late 1800s, went everywhere preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were having a big Bible conference in Chicago, Illinois, where he was from. And they wanted uh, uh, D.L. Moody to come and, and preach for them. One of the organizers of the conference asked the one who was trying to get uh, Moody to come and preach. He said, "What do you, th do you think that D.L. Moody has more of the Holy Spirit than anybody else? He said, no, but it's been my experience in listening to him. The Holy Spirit has more of D.L. Moody. That's the point. It's not that we get more of God the Holy Spirit, but we must relinquish our will to His and give more of ourselves to Him. Now what's going to happen when you do that? When you are filled with the Spirit, then the fruit of the Spirit will be evident in your life. <laughs> you say, brother, what's that? Good question. Galatians 5.22, watch this. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22, watch what the Bible says here. I love it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Watch this. Meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now let me ask you something. Wouldn't a husband be a better husband if he's walking around in joy, and peace, and love, and patience, and gentleness, and goodness, and walking by faith? Wouldn't he be a better husband? Wouldn't a wife be a better wife if she's walking around in love and joy and peace and, pa peace and patience and gentleness and goodness and faith and 
those other things mentioned in verse 23, meekness and temperance, wouldn't, wouldn't she be a better wife? Wouldn't children be better kids in the home if they were walking around filled with the Spirit, operating by the fruit of the Spirit? Yeah, all of us would be. So the first step in the instruction manual of the family is that every member be filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. Now, watch this. Look at the contrast of that, though. Keep that up there, brothers. Go back to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse number 19. Now, the works of the flesh are the old sinful nature are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresy, verse 21, watch this, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in the past, that which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So what is he saying? There's a difference in walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. Which one do you want to walk in in your home? I don't know about you, but I think my home will be a lot happier operating by the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit being evident in my life and in others' lives. Now, the Bible makes that even more clean, clear, uh, clear to us back in Ephesians chapter 5. Go back to Ephesians 5. Look down with me there to verse number 19. He says, when you are filled with the Spirit, you'll... Be speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. God will put a song in your mouth and in your heart when you're filled with the Spirit. This is a picture of joy in the household. Look at verse 20. Watch this. Giving thanks always for the things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only will He put a song in your mouth, but He will put thanksgiving on your lips when you are filled with the Spirit. A thankful heart is a merry heart. And a merry heart does well in the home. Verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now let me tell you what this, what's then going to happen. When you are filled with the Spirit, there will be a spirit of joy, happiness, peace. All of those things we're missing. That will be evident in your home, in your life. And then guess what's going to happen? There's going to be a spirit of submission unto one another. When you're filled with the Spirit, it's not always about what you want, what you think, what you say. It's not always your way or the highway. As a matter of fact, if you have been around somebody where it's always their way or the highway, they can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. There'll be a spirit of submission one to another. Look at verse 22. Let's go on. Step number one. Every member must be filled with the Spirit. Then we're going to look, step number two, at the Spirit-filled husband because that's what the Bible starts speaking of here. And the Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Let's, let's unpack that. Let's see what this means. Three things I want you to see this morning. Uh, concerning the spirit-filled husband. First of all, we need to see straight from the Word of God his position. His position. The Bible says in verse number 21 that, or, or excuse me, verse number 22, that wives are to submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. And then he tells in the next verse, for the husband is the head of the wife. God in his sovereignty has put headship in the home 
for a purpose. I love uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers. Dr. Adrian Rogers said concerning this verse is that God has put uh, a chain of command in the home that links our family, our home, to heaven. And that's good stuff. And we're going to look at what that means concerning the position of the spirit-filled husband. His position is a position of headship. God wants every home to have a head. How many of you know anything without a head is dead and anything with two heads is a freak? Now you don't want your home to be dead and you certainly don't want your home, your marriage to be freakish. So what you've got to do is allow God's system to be at work and the husband must be spiritually the head of the household. That's how God has set this thing up. You say, Brother, why did he do that? Well, I don't know why he did it sometimes, but, uh, but he did. Maybe that's a question you can ask him when you're standing before the Lord. But I, I want you to know that that's how God has said this thing is supposed to work when it comes to the family. Now, I know the problem that a lot of people have with this. A lot of people say, well, if, if, the, if the wife is under the husband, then that means the wife is inferior to the husband. And the Bible never makes that claim. It never says that at all. So ladies, I want you to know, you do not have to fear biblical submission. You don't need to run from biblical submission when you actually understand what it is. In no way, shape, form, or fashion is the Bible saying that the wife is inferior to the husband. If you believe it, say amen this morning. So ladies, don't tune me out and turn me off yet. Listen, I want you to get a hold of this because it's going to change your life if you do. Uh, the husband is not superior to the wife and the wife is not inferior to her husband. As a matter of fact, as far as God's word says it, uh, we are all equal before the Lord. Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 28. Watch what the scripture says there. Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Everybody say amen. That's the word of God. So what that means is our standing before the Lord is no different, male or female, Jew or Greek, regardless of our religious affiliation, regardless of our gender, we are all in equal standing before the Lord in Christ. You see it? If you are in Jesus, you are no better and no worse than anyone else. We're just all forgiven. Praise God. You are equal, husband and wife, before the Lord. But now listen to me. Equal has not and never will means same. You are equal, but you are not the same. And God has made you different so that he might in turn make you one inside the marital relationship. See, I've got strengths and I've got weaknesses that my wife don't have. And she's got strengths and she's got weaknesses that I don't have. But when we come together in holy matrimony, operating like God wants us to operate in the family unit, then guess what happens? Then we can fulfill our purpose before the Lord as one because we've meshed our differences. And we do it like God wants to do it. And when we don't, the opposite is true. <laughs> so you are equal, but you are not same. 
And God has given the husband the position of headship. Now, let me say something to you. Listen to me now. Guys, with headship comes great responsibility. We'll talk about that more as we go along. Dr. Gary Smalley is one of my favorite writers when it comes to uh, writing on marriage. And he said something concerning the submission of godly women to godly husbands. He said this, for a woman to not submit to her husband, she's going to have a lot of problems. To say that a woman, um, a woman that refuses to submit to her husband is first of all going to have a problem with God. Now, why would she have a problem with God? She'll have a problem with God because when she tries to subvert her husband's authority in the home, she's actually subverting God's authority in the home because it was God who gave the husband headship. It was God who set this up, who made this chain of command. And when the woman um, has a problem with submission, she has a problem, first of all, with God. She is going to have a problem with her husband. Instead of being his completer, she will be his crippler. I like that. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that the woman was to be the helpmate. And that word helpmate actually means one who completes. And I've come to find out that I am a better man I am more effective in my role as a husband because of my wife. I don't want to get too Jerry Maguire on you, but she truly does complete me. I've seen that my differences are made up with her, and hopefully her differences are made up with me. And maybe I complete her as much as she completes me, and that's how the marital relationship is supposed to work. So when a, when a wife chooses to not come under the authority of her husband, listen, she'll no longer be his completer, but Dr. Smalley says she'll be his crippler. A woman will, that doesn't submit to her husband will have problems with her children. Biblically, you can't be over your children until you put yourself under your husband. She's going to have difficulty with her own best interests. She will never have her deepest needs met until she operates in the sphere God has created for her to operate in. When we do it God's way, we can expect God's blessing. Please don't misunderstand me again. No, no way am I saying that wives are inferior to husbands because in a lot of ways they're superior. Let me ask you this. Is silk inferior to Kevlar? Kevlar being the Material that's used over on a bulletproof vest that, that uh, soldiers use in combat. combat. Is, is silk inferior to Kevlar? Well, of course not. Matter of fact, in many cases, fine silk is the most expensive fabric you could possibly buy. But how many of you know if I'm on a battlefield, I don't care whether or not I'm wearing silk pajamas. I need some Kevlar. On the other hand, if I'm going to bed... I promise you I'll be a whole lot more comfortable in silk pajamas than I will be in Kevlar. Each one has a different purpose. Not that one is better than the other. Not that one is inferior to the other. Matter of fact, they're equal in value depending on what purpose they are accomplishing and fulfilling. They're just not same. Does that make sense to you? So wives, I want you to know 
God is not calling you inferior. The Bible is not calling you inferior. I am not calling you inferior. And you don't need to feel inferior to your husband because you come in under submission unto him. That's what the Bible has commanded us to do in the family unit. Amen? When we get things out of alignment, when we go outside of the chain of command, then it messes everything up. The position of the husband must be seen, but also you need to see the pattern of the husband. Look in Ephesians chapter 5, back down to verse number 23. Ephesians 5, 23, watch this. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Jesus is head of the church, just as the husband is to be the head of the wife. How does Jesus operate in the lives of the church? Let me tell you this. Jesus is not a tyrant. Is he? Jesus is not a boss. Jesus is a leader. There is a big difference in a boss and a leader. Now guys, if you want to experience happiness in your home and in your marriage, you need to know the difference between a boss and a leader. Jesus does not send us into battle and stand on the sidelines Jesus leads us into battle and stay with us no matter how rough it gets. Now, what does that mean for the husband and the wife? Guys, listen to me. We are to lead our families, not boss our families. We are not to be tyrants over our families, lords over our families. We are to lovingly lead our families into the things of God in the, in the ways that God wants us to go. We don't allow our, our wives to go out and make the hard decisions that we need to be making as men. A lot of times, women have to take on the headship of the home because the husband will not stand up and do what the husband has been commanded to do. So we must, each individually, Fulfill our role by the power of the Holy Spirit so that the family unit might be the strongest it can possibly be. The pattern is that we operate in our home just as Christ operates in the church. Is he the head? Yes. But he's not a tyrant. He's not a boss. He's a leader who lovingly leads the church, who stands by the church. No matter what. Who never leaves nor forsakes the church. You need to see the position of the husband. You need to see the pattern of the spirit-filled husband. But you also got to see the practice of the spirit-filled husband. Look at verse number 24. Therefore, as the church is subject in the cross, so let the wives be their own husbands in everything. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. Watch this now. And gave himself for it. Everybody say gave himself. How many know Jesus selflessly? laid down his life so that I could be saved, so that I could be a part of the church, so that you could be a part of the church. He selflessly gave himself for the church. You say, brother, what does that mean? Does that mean I'm to die for my, for my wife? Well, part of it, yes, absolutely. Am, am I supposed to physically die for my, for my wife? If it comes to that, yes. No doubt about it. But it, but it goes even much deeper than that. 
Let me tell you what else he died to. You died to individuality because I realize that now that I'm in a marital committed relationship, I'm no longer an individual, but me and my wife are one. You know what the Bible says? It says that we are to become one flesh. Let me tell you what else I die to. I die to singleness. I don't no longer operate like a single man operates. That means I don't text women that are not my wife. I don't message women on Facebook that are not my wife. Let me tell you what else I don't do. I don't like pictures that are not my wife's picture. I had a lady come to me one time. She was upset about what was going on in her marriage. And it all went back to her husband liking pictures on Facebook of other women. And, and he was in there all mad about it. I can't believe she did it. They don't mean nothing. I said, you mean to tell me if, if she was liking pictures of other men, it wouldn't bother you? Well, that ain't what I'm saying. Well, what are you saying then? You die to singleness. I'm not a single man. Don't act like a single man. Don't put yourself in that position to get in trouble. You got to die to these things selflessly. Lay some stuff down and pick some stuff up. The Bible says not only are you to be selfless, but you're to be sacrificial. He gave himself he sacrificed himself for the church. That's how Jesus loves the church. And there are certain things I found out I've had to sacrifice on behalf of my marriage. Folks, I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. Either I'm all in or usually I'm all out. And when it comes to hobbies in my life, I struggle with that sometimes. Man, when I get fired up about something, I am all in. And a lot of times, it's not necessarily that they're bad things. Man, when it was hunting and fishing, I, hunting, I was hunting and fishing every chance I got. Man, I'd, I'd go and fish for three or four nights a week, you know, and then on Saturdays. And I just love fishing. Not, wasn't nothing outside um, the, 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 that would hurt my marriage really in any way going on. It's just me out fishing, you know. Then it went from that to other things. Then I got into to martial arts. And then I started, I would train four and five days a week. Then I'd go on Saturdays, sometimes on Sundays after church and train. I was just all, all in it. And, and, and I struggle with that. I, I, I got a very addictive personality. <laughs> I really do. And I come to find out that even though those things were not necessarily bad things, a lot of those things were good things. But what I was doing and what began to hurt my marriage and my family it was I was trading good things for the best things. And that's where we get in a mess. And that's where risks in the relationship start to happen when you trade the good things for the best. I'm not saying you can't enjoy life. I'm saying you got to get your priorities in line. you got to carve out time for the best things. And sometimes you sacrifice time for the good things. Does that make sense to you? Selflessly, he loved the church. Sacrificially, he loved the church. Let me tell you something else. Watch this now. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 26. That he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of the water. Sanctifyingly, I'm to love my wife. What does it mean to sanctify? It means to clean up and set apart for a purpose. It is because of my relationship with Jesus as a part of the church that I am close to God, forgiven by the precious work, finished work of Christ 
because of what he did for me. My sins are forgiven. I'm made a part of God's family. The Bible says that now I'm become a friend of God because I've placed faith in Jesus. Can you say amen to that? What I'm trying to say is I am closer to God because of the work of Christ in my life. Now, if he is the sanctifier of the church and he says that men are to be to their wives what he is to the church. What he's saying is, my wife ought to be closer to Jesus because she's in a relationship with me. You know what, guys? I hope and pray that my kids know there's no question where we're going on Sunday morning. I've never had, I've never had them come and ask me, are we going to church today when church was actually happening? And I never want them to have to ask me that. I want them to know that as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And when it comes time for church, we're going to church. I want them to know that when it comes time for church, they ain't got to ask me, are we going to church today? They're going to know we better get up and get ready because we're going to church today. Can you say amen? I want to know that. I want to know it on Sunday morning. I want to know it on Wednesday night. Anytime we're having corporate worship, I want them to understand we going to church. Now, I know there's more to it than church. I get it. But I'm going to tell you something. If you are not faithful to church, it's very hard for me to imagine you being faithful to a lot of other things. Church is not really the, the ceiling. Church is the floor. Church is the foundational level where you come and receive the teaching of the word of God and encouragement and we come in here and get charged up to go out and make a difference in the world that we live in. But if you're not doing this, it's hard for me to believe you're out there witnessing. It's hard for me to believe you're out there doing the things you need to do. Church is foundational for our Christian faith and it's foundational for our family. And so I want my wife to be closer to Jesus. I want my kids to be closer to Jesus because they know me. Amen. The husband should be the sanctifier. That's what he's talking about. Verse 27. That he might present it him to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that it should be holy and without blemish. I love this next verse and I'm done. So what men to love their wives even as their own bodies? He that loveth his wife loves himself. Verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it. Nourish, to nourish speaks of provision. To cherish speaks of protection. You know, guys, we're to be our wife's provider. But we're also to be her protector. We are to cherish her. Now, I think it's very easy sometimes to be theologically correct and practically no good. So I'm going to get practical with you for just a moment. Guys, I want to give you just three or four things that will help all of us practically love our wives daily. Number one is time. Spend some time with them. Carve out some time daily, just you and her, to sit and talk. Talk about what, how your day's going, what's going on, your hopes and dreams, problems, failures, all of it. Talk about it. Plans for tomorrow, talk about it. Spend some time one with another. 
When I'm doing marital counseling, I tell people this all the time. You need to date weekly. You need to discuss daily. And you need to depart quarterly. What do I mean by that? Every day we're going to discuss things. We're going to date once a week for sure. Taking her somewhere. That ain't nothing for me cooking steaks on the grill and having, you know, dinner at the house. We're going to date and spend time with one another on that date weekly if we can. We're going to depart quarter. We're going to get away and have that special time, just me and her, when the kids don't go. Spend some time with her. Let me give you the next one, touch. Touch. Let me tell you the number one cause of divorce today, it's infidelity. Followed closely by financial issues, financial problems. And a lot of times what happens, the husband or the wife go outside the marriage looking for what should be handled inside the marriage. The Bible says the marital bed is undefiled. The Bible teaches that sex is a gift given by God inside the marriage. A gift given that should be enjoyed in the marital relationship. Time touch we've already talked a little bit about talk listen travel all of these things are just practical ways that we can really show how much we love our wives see the spirit-filled husband's position see his pattern oh but listen to me now notice his practice let's put into practice what the word of God says if you believe it, say amen this morning. We're going to go deeper next week. Guys, I know I picked on you this morning. But um, we'll get to something else next week that I hope will be beneficial to you as well. Everybody stand together today.